Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Do you have a Bible? Open up with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. We are coming to, shortly coming to a close in 1 Timothy in the book of 1 Timothy, and uh, that means, as I've been mentioning, Share Sunday is coming, which is the, your opportunity to just come up and talk about what God has been doing in your life through the book of 1 Timothy, right? The, when we started, we were closing books, and I think we've gone through, I can't remember how many books we've taught verse by verse here. We've been in existence for 12 years, and we've taught, I think we've gone through 14 uh, different books. We've gone through, you know, of the Bible, and you know, one day as we were closing a chapter, closing a book, I was thinking, but Lord, what did people get out of that? Like, how do, like, I, it's not for me, but, but what are people getting out of your word? Your word is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is powerful, and it should be transforming our lives. We should have an opportunity as a body to share how God is transforming us through his word, and so that's the whole point of Share Sunday. Uh, with that said, you know, we, we're going to hopefully wrap up by December 27th, maybe Share Sunday, it may be January 3rd, we'll see. Um, it depends on how, how fast this guy goes, but, um, and usually, I, I was going to tackle way more than I got today, so it could be even pushed out a little bit further, but if you're interested in sharing, if God has somehow transformed your life, touched your life, or there's a key verse that you're like, well, I really got some understanding from that verse, it doesn't have to be long, it's just a short testimony of what God is doing in your life, we want to hear about it, because that's encouraging, and how is God practically ministering in your life through his word? Um, so if you're interested in that, you can talk to myself again, Pastor Brian, Pastor Mike, five to ten minutes. There is no, there's, there is a time limit on that. There's a cap, but there's no time limit to, you know, if it's only a minute long, no big deal. But we need probably five to ten people to do this, and, I, and so I want to encourage you, uh, if God has been putting on your heart, and let me just say, uh, if you're prompted right now, that is God's will for you. So, you know, uh, well, I'm not telling you that. The Holy Spirit's telling you that. I'm just, I'm just actually confirming what the Holy Spirit's already telling you right now, that you're the person that needs to be doing that. So, so come talk to me about it. It's not something we need to be afraid of to talk about what God is doing, but we want to do that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, stand with me. And we are going to begin in verse 3. Where Paul says... If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with, uh, with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we ask, God, that you would speak to our hearts today. In particular, Lord, about the kind of people we're listening to. The kind of information we're allowing into our hearts and our minds, Lord. Will you help us to understand what the marks of a false teacher look like? So we can understand, Father, who it is that we're following and, and ultimately allowing to shape and, and mentor us. Speak to our hearts, Lord, this morning, and, and may your son, Jesus Christ, be clear, clearly seen through this message this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. On the evening of October 30th, 1938, at approximately 8 p.m., Radio listeners across the United States heard this startling report. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin. Martians have landed in New Jersey. With sirens blaring in the background, announcers in the field described mysterious creatures, terrifying war machines, and a thick cloud of poisonous gas as it moved towards New York City. As the invading forces... Uh, approached Manhattan, some listeners sat transfixed while others ran to alert neighbors. Some folks called the police and others fled their homes and were headed for the hills to hide. 
However, the hair-raising broadcast was not a real news bulletin. It was Orson Welles' adaptation of H.G. Wells' classic, The War of the Worlds. About 12 million people were tuned in to that radio program that day, and it's been said that one out of 12 believed that it was in fact true. And so there was all different types of responses to that. It's been said that broadcasting was changed forever that evening and not for the better. Although Orson Welles is not the originator of fake news, he certainly demonstrated the effects if conveyed correctly. Anything to anyone, and if you say it in a convincing way, there's a very good chance that they'll believe you. That's incredibly dangerous. It's incredibly dangerous. We, we see in our news today that everybody's talking about fake news, right? It's, it's every, every bent. It doesn't matter what side of uh, the, the aisle you're on these days. Everybody's saying fake news. Everybody's crying fake news. What is the truth today? Where do we find the truth? What is real and what is fake? Those are great questions. Those are things that we need to be considered. Did you know that a false story is far more likely to go viral on social media than a true story. Uh, it, it was, it, there was a study conducted by MIT, and, and, it's, and the, the research uh, suggested that, or you know, told us that the conclusion was that a false story reaches 1,500 people six times quicker on average than a true story. We love lies because lies are exciting. They appeal to our flesh. You know, we, we like users are 70% more likely to retweet fake news than accurate news. We've all received the breaking news on our pla social media platforms, right? That Sylvester Stallone has died or some other very famous, you know, uh, uh, person. And, and, and then you, you, you share it only to get ridiculed by your friends who post the, the Snopes page on your feed that says, ha, you're wrong. You were duped. Fake news. And then you feel incredibly, like, you feel like an idiot, don't you? Now, let me ask you a question. Since we're all friends here, how many of you have ever done that before? How many of you have ever forwarded something that was not true, you didn't fact check it, and uh, you were called out on it? How many people? For real. About half of you have done that. The other half of you, I think you might be doing that right now. I'm not sure. But <laughs> we, we do that. But, but, but what happens is immediately when you do that and you get called out on that, you know what you do? You start fact-checking stuff. You start going, man, I got duped. I don't want to be duped. I better get in and make sure that what I'm saying is true. Why? Because we don't want to pass on fake news. We don't want to pass on false information. I want you to understand that this entire thing is by design. This entire, the, the entire lies that are being uh, portrayed, regardless of the subject, it's not just politics. It's everything in life. Anything that's passed on um, has a chance of be, being a lie. And I want you to understand that there, that's very, that, that is a very pointed thing. The enemy, that's his strategy. There's been a war on the truth from day one. And in fact, we don't have to look very far in the Bible to see that. We get to Genesis chapter 3 and we find the enemy in the garden where he goes to Eve and what is he doing? He's attacking the truth, right? He says, did God really say that if you eat of the tree that you will in fact die? And then he says, you will not die. Fake news. Immediately he tells a lie. He tells the part truth. He says, here's what God said, but here's the truth. You won't die. You see, God is concerned about you knowing what he knows. And so if you eat, the, eat the, of the fruit of the tree, then you'll know good from evil just like God knows. The enemy has been deceiving people with fake news from the beginning, and he's the originator of propaganda. Jesus warned the apostles in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus is making it very clear 
to the early church that fake news is going to be something they're going to have to deal with uh, for until he comes and he returns. It's going to be something that not just the early church has to deal with, but all of us have to deal with. You might ask yourself, how did, when Jesus said that, hey, uh, beware of false prophets, how were they going to beware of false prophets? They, remember, they didn't have the written word of God like we do. They had the Old Testament, but they did not have the New Testament. The New Testament wouldn't come until 60 years after the ascension of Christ. So here these guys are. Uh, Jesus is telling them to beware of false prophets. How do they know what is true and what is not? Oh, Jesus gave them, Jesus gave them the answer. As he continues in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 through 20, he said, You will recognize them... By their fruits. Are grapes gathered with uh, thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will uh, recognize them by their fruits. The fruit of a person will identify them as a source to be trusted or not. How they live will determine their credibility. That's why it's so important how we live our lives, Christians. Because that is telling a story of whether we are a credible source or not. You see, when you go through a trial and you deal with something incredibly difficult, people are watching. They want to see, are you going to practice what you preach? You know, particularly non-believers, they want to say to you, where's your God now? Like if, if you don't demonstrate the, 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 that, that God is with you through everything, and Jesus said he would be, doesn't mean it won't be hard, but he said he'd be with you through everything. And as you demonstrate that before people, it blows unbelievers' minds when they see God working in your life and they see the Holy Spirit at work in your life where you have a, a, a really a peace that what? Surpasses all understanding. When they see that in your life and they think like, whoa. And then that opens the door for them to come to you and say, hey, how did you do that? Say, well, I'm just incredibly godly, right? That's what we, no, that's not what you say. You say, you know what? It's because Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. And if I didn't have Jesus... I'd be a sunken ship, man. I would be completely and totally desolate. I would not have peace. I couldn't have peace. But because I have Jesus, I have perfect peace. And, and it becomes an incredible um, testimony to those around you. The apostles in the early church were warned and warned over and over about this subject of fake news being uh, passed on, particularly religious fake news. The apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, but false prophets also arose among the people. He's saying they arose beforehand and they're going to continue to rise just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing up upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Peter's saying, hey, there's always going to be false, false teachers. There's always going to be false information circling around the church. But understand, there is an incredible um, penalty for those who will pass such information on. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. As you're already aware, the Apostle Paul, he's been talking on the subject of false teachers and fake news through his pastoral epistle to Timothy. And he goes on in 2 Timothy and continues that theme. And then he goes into the book of Jude, which is another pastoral epistle. And he, he talks about the dangers of, of false teachers and fake news. He's warning people that this is going to happen. You know the letter that, that Timothy is receiving, that Paul is writing in 1 Timothy, this, this letter was written to Timothy, who was the pastor of Ephesus. Paul, in his um, third missionary journey, 
uh, passing through Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem, which he would be arrested and then he would be taken to Rome, he gathered the pastors at Miletus and he, he gathered all of those in, in, in for the pastors from Ephesus and he said these words to, to them in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 31. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourself, from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. He, he told them before Timothy even stepped into the role to sort of oversee all of the churches. This is not just one church in Ephesus. It's multiple churches, multiple pastors. Timothy's sort of over all of it. And he's now writing to Timothy telling him, beware of false teachers. Why? Because false teachers have made their way in the church. You see, what happened was they didn't take it serious when Paul came through on his third missionary journey. How many of you guys have ever not taken the word serious and you see exactly what it says is going to happen happened and then you're like, oh, I should probably take that serious. I mean, that's what happened. They didn't take it serious. And, you know, really the, the warning for us this morning is to take the word of God serious. Like when God says something he doesn't just say it to, that, that it might happen. Whatever he says will happen, right? It's, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And so we need to take the word of God very seriously. If these guys would have taken the word of God seriously, it may have changed it. Now, check this out. Fast forward to Revelation chapter 2. You know, this, this might be 30 years after Paul writes this letter. You know what happens? They're taking it serious. And in fact, Jesus says, you guys are so on with your doctrine. You're so against false teachers. They, they took it serious. They were messing up in some other areas. They, they had lost their first love, didn't they? They become so doctrinally collect, correct that they had, they had lost the passion behind what they were doing. That's also something we have to be very careful about. It's like a, a swinging pendulum, man. Between we go incredibly liberal or incredibly legalistic, and we, be, we, we have to be careful that we don't allow doctrine to be the premise. Jesus said love should be the premise, but doctrine's important. And so, uh, you know, Paul is telling these people, hey, uh, false teachers are going to arise, and he continues that theme through the book of First Timothy. This is the third time Paul brings up the subject to Timothy in this letter. You think that he uh, should take note of it? You think that we should take note of it? He, he spoke to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 11 about false teachers. Then again in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. And now again in 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. He wants to expand on what Jesus has already said to them long ago. That, that not only do they have to look at the fruit of the person. Now Paul's going to put some flesh to that. And he's going to say, these are four specific things that you can look for and, and, de, and the marks of a false teacher. Paul points to the content of the teacher. He, he points to the attitude of the teacher, the mentality of the teacher, and finally, the motive of the teacher. First, we find Paul pointing to the content, namely, the doctrine of false teachers. Look at verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Paul, again, starts with doctrine. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, when he mentions the word false teachers, the first thing he brings up is their doctrine. And he tells them, tell them to be quiet. Remember that? He said, hey, tell those false teachers to be quiet. He didn't say kick them out of the church. He said, tell them to stop teaching right now until they get some understanding. They're saying things they don't understand. They're passing on information that they, they don't fully understand, and that's incredibly damaging to the church. Tell them to stop talking. And then let's see what happens there. Eventually, when a false teacher will not stop talking, you have to kick them out of the church. It all comes down to the, 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 really the motive of the person. What is their motive? We find somebody here, you know, passing on false doctrine. We're going to sit down with them and say, hey, let's talk about, you know, what your beliefs are. And let's talk about kind of where you're at. Because particularly if people begin to corner people and get them off to the side and start to talk with them one-on-one, -on -one, their purpose, that, that, that is not a good thing. If they're passing on false doctrine, that's what ravenous wolves do. They separate sheep, get them alone by themselves, and then they, they devour them. 
And so we want to, we're sheepdogs. We have to be careful. We want to make sure people hear this is a safe place. You can come here and you're here to hear the word of God. You want to make sure that you're hearing the word of God, right? And so um, we take that serious. But Paul addresses doctrine because doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. I know in this day and age, you, you know, it's not super exciting to, just teach the Bible line by line, you know? A lot of people, that, no, let's, let's make this entertaining. Let's make this exciting. That doesn't change your life. And I'm, I don't know about you, but I want to become more like Jesus. So I, I need to hear from Jesus. I don't need to hear from Tim Romero. I, don't, I need to hear from the Holy Spirit, and I need to hear the Word of God because that's what's going to change my life. And, and so that's exactly um, what, what Paul is saying. Paul, Paul sort of addresses... Um, Three different things in this, this first verse here relating to doctrine. The first thing that Paul says is that a false teacher will teach a different doctrine. A different doctrine. That, that's a compound Greek word, that, that phrase different there, different doctrine, is a compound Greek word that is entero de la teleo. And in entero, the first part of that word means other. And then uh, de las teleo literally means to teach. So to teach another, it's a divergent teaching. It's completely contrary to what's being taught. That's what he's saying. It's a different doctrine, not just in appearance, but everything about it's different. Wasn't it Paul that said to, to um, the church in, in Galatia, didn't he say to them, beware of somebody who teaches a different doctrine. Even if an angel of light were to materialize before you and say, here's a different doctrine, do not believe it. Who's the angel of light? Satan. Satan is the angel of light. He's saying there will be miraculous things that can materialize before your eyes, but if it's not in the word of God, don't believe it. Do not believe it. There are people teaching different doctrines. The enemy has been after the word of God from day one. Why? Because it's what changes people's lives. You know, you don't, from the cover to cover, the enemy has a lie for every truth that's in the Bible. Do you know that? Every truth that is in the Bible, the enemy has somehow contradicted it with some sort of science, right? Or some worldly teaching. Look at Genesis 1.1. It tells us where we came from. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does the enemy do? No, no, that's not what happened. We evolved from a single cell organism, or it was intelligent and dying, but it certainly wasn't Genesis 1-1, right? What's he doing? Attacking the word of God. And then what happens here is you have people who are demonically influenced, yes, demonically influenced in the 21st century, demonically influenced to pass on that information in our public school systems as truth. It's a, it's a theory, but it's a fact is how they teach it. Does that make any sense? That's the enemy. That's the way that he works. The same thing with John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What has the enemy done? Well, depending on your persuasion, he has an answer for all kinds of different people. To some, there is no heaven, so it doesn't matter. To others, there's many ways to heaven. So there's that persuasion. You know, he, he, he is the father of lies. And he's the deceiver of the world. And so I, I've come to the conclusion that, man, if it's not written in the Word of God, then I don't believe it. I don't care what science says. And, and sci science, by the way, doesn't say evolution, FYI. Not even close. But anyway, that's a different conversation. Um, the enemy is at work to, to send people into the world to preach a different doctrine. Secondly, you'll notice here that Paul speaks about an unhealthy doctrine that they teach. It doesn't agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word sound there literally means the state of being healthy, to be well. These words are not healthy. Why? Because they're not biblical. Uh, people's words might sound great, but if they're not biblical, they're not healthy. It's not helpful. Paul tells Timothy exactly what he's referring to when he talks about sound words. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, he tells us the false teachers will devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God 
that is by faith. I don't know about you guys if you've ever met people like this, but there are people in the world that are incredibly versed um, you know, on every speculation and every myth that the Bible has. They're just, and you're just like, you sound so knowledgeable. I mean, but they're speaking about speculation. They can make anything up. Like, like, and to be honest with you, there's some teachers that a lot of people listen to that it's really incredibly speculative. And I'm not saying that it's not interesting to listen to speculative stuff, but I don't know about you. I find for myself, I have a hard enough time just trying to get my mind around what's written in the Word of God to let my mind be preoccupied with something that's speculative. I mean, you know, for me, I'm, I'm all about like, the Lord gave me his word, 66 books. If I don't know this very well, I should probably just focus on this. I don't necessarily need to worry about whether aliens came down from heaven, if they're demons or anything like that. Who cares? Because what I care about is what God gave me and delivered to me in 66 books and what he's given to me in his word. Uh, those things, I promise you, will not make you grow. They will not cause you to grow. We can sit there and light a candle and look at it and be speculative all day long, but it will not cause you to grow. It will become unhealthy for you, actually, because it's distracting you from the truth. You know, um, I, I love Chuck Missler, and I, I know this is going to hurt some people's feelings, but he's incredibly speculative on a lot of stuff. And it's awesome that he teaches the Bible, you know, verse by verse, but I, I, I steer away from his teaching because there's a lot of speculative stuff in it that I don't listen to. And I don't call him out like that, like he's a false teacher. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying focus on people that teach the word straight through the word, verse by verse, simple, that you can understand that you get. You know, and, and, and it's interesting stuff, but be careful with that. Don't get distracted from the truth. Focus on the truth, the word of God, and not, not speculative, you know. He goes on here, and he says that, he, Paul goes on, and he says that the kind of doctrine that these guys teach is, a, a, it's a teaching that accords with godliness. It does not make you more godly. It's a fruitless doctrine. You know, man-made doctrines will do that. They will produce zero fruit in your life. You, they will make you feel like you are incredibly godly, but in all actuality, when you compare yourself to what the Word calls godly, totally different. It will become fruitless. You'll be fruitless in God's eyes if you follow this kind of teaching. Um, and, and, and I don't know, there's the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that is being passed around and, and all these kinds of things. And you know... Um, not all of those teachers are horrible teachers. I, I would say, but the doctrine is horrible. And here, here's the reality of it is, if you listen very carefully, and this is how you should listen to people, you should listen to who is it that they are elevating in the message. If I'm the hero of the message, that's the wrong message. If God is here to serve me and to do whatever I want him to do, then that's the wrong message. Like, if all I have to do is give God $100 and he's going to give me 1000 back, I'm the center of the message. And I tell you, newsflash, there is only one hero in the Bible, and he's not you. He's Jesus Christ, and so we want to we make sure that Jesus is the center of the message, not us. And, and, you know, as a Bible teacher, I have to be super careful about doing this too because oftentimes we try and read ourselves into these stories in the Bible that, um, you know, that make us heroes. You know, you're not David, and you're not literally going to slay a Goliath, right? You're not David. You're you. Be you. Let the Lord do what he wants to do in your life. But, but we, we can't read ourselves into every scripture and, and assume that, well, that's me. I'm the hero of the Bible. You're not the hero of the Bible. Jesus is the hero of the Bible, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22, Jesus Christ is the red line. He's the, he's the sole uh, exalting one throughout the entire scripture, Jesus Christ. And that's the message we listen for. Is the message centered on Jesus or centered on me? That's the question. That is sound doctrine. You can tell the difference very quickly. If it's centered on you, it will be fruitless. It will be fruitless in your life. Um, so just be, be careful about that. The first mark of a false teacher is unbiblical content. Secondly, Paul goes on and he talks about the attitude of the false teacher in verse 4. He says he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. The attitude of the false teacher can be summarized in one word, prideful. He's prideful. This is what 
Paul means when he says that he's puffed up with conceit. Literally, that phrase carries the idea that he's blowing spoke, that he's full of hot air. He's arrogant and not humble in the slightest. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, he said, of those who are prideful, false teachers, he said, they, they speak loud boasts of folly. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They speak boisterously and they appeal to your flesh. That's what they do. That's what a false teacher does. Because you struggle with your flesh, don't you? You struggle with, with the longings of the flesh. Of course, we all do. And so a false teacher will target those. You know what the number one uh, marketing ploy is? Emotional tie. If I can just get an emotional tie to you somehow, I can pull you into the story. You may not even need what I'm selling you, but if I can emotionally tie you and connect you to that, then I can suck you in. Why do you think they use sex to sell packs of gum? You have this incredibly sexy woman who's like, you know, and it's a pack of gum and she's chewing gum and you're just like, wow, that really makes me want gum. Not. I mean, what do you think? That they're, they're connecting an emotional tie with you. They want you to be lured in by your flesh. And uh, it, it, it's, that's, what, that's what false teachers do. Paul says that they understand nothing. He, he said that, and again, in the very beginning, Paul summarized the false teachers in, in chapter 1, and he said in verse 6 and 7 of 1 Timothy, certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Uh, these people are incredibly believable, but, but they don't understand what they're saying. It doesn't take very long to get underneath the surface of somebody to see if they truly understand what they're saying. Somebody can say something very loud, very assertive, very passionate, and you go, wow, they're, they, they're incredible. You know, if you're a great speaker, by the way, you can fool everybody, right? You can fool everybody by just being a great speaker. But if you get under the surface of the content and you start to ask just a, a few questions to, to, to see if they fully understand what they're saying, you can see very quickly if they do. You know, you, you can come and talk to any Bible teacher, and, and of course you're not going to understand everything, but you should have a pretty good grip on, the, on your passage if you're standing in the pulpit teaching. And you should be able to come up to me afterwards and say, hey, or Pastor Brian or Pastor Mike, you should be able to come up to us afterwards and say, hey, what did you mean by that? And we should be able to somewhat give you an explanation on the spot. And if we can't fully under answer your question, we should say, hey, you know what? We'll get back to you. You know what a false teacher will do? He won't. He'll make something up on the spot, and he'll tell you what you want to hear. And so that's the kind of stuff that he's talking about here. People don't understand what they're saying, they're teaching, and yet they say it in a believable way, and that's good enough for some people. I know that's not good enough for you. That's why you're here. It's not good enough for you, and it shouldn't be good enough for anybody in the body of Christ. should not be good enough. Uh, Paul goes on here, and he talks about the third mark of a false teacher, which is, has to do with their cravings for controversy and quarrels, their mentality the way that they live their lives. He goes on, he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Paul goes on here to declare to us that a false teacher will be marked by an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words so the, the key to focus on in the passage here is not controversy and quarrels, but it's on the word unhealthy. We have to understand what Paul isn't saying before we can understand what he is saying. What he isn't saying is that we should never talk in any way, shape, or form contra, you know, with anyone. We should never disagree with anyone. We should never, ever, in any way, for the sake of unity, um, ever divert and say, I don't, I don't agree with you on this. That's not what he's saying. And I think some churches, particularly in the modern church, 
have gone so far over to the other side of unity that they've discarded and let the, water, wa the gospel be watered down. And that's not what he's saying at all. Notice what he says here. It's that they have an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarreling about words. They love to argue. They're incredible debaters. They love that stuff. Hey, listen, I enjoy debating people. I, 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 I think it's fun, you know, to some degree. My flesh does. But you know what? I don't think that's the Spirit of God. What I think the Spirit of God would say to me is, is what's being said true or not true? And if it's not true, is it something that needs to be addressed? Right? So where's the line? How do we know whether we should address something or not? How do we know if, uh, if, if you know, it's something worth arguing about or not? Again, it comes back to what I think everybody here probably already knows is, is it a salvation issue? Is what they're saying affect the eternal place a person will spend? Are they telling them they can work their way to heaven? Are they telling them there's some, way, some, some form of work that you have to do in order to be saved? That's an absolute hill to die on, 100%. We would never, ever... Um, for the sake of unity, not address something that relates to salvation. We, we would not fight with somebody, but we certainly wouldn't agree. Or we wouldn't walk away saying, well, let's agree to disagree. No, let's, let's talk about what the Bible says about that. You know, so we, we, we want to do that, but it's not in an unhealthy way. That's a healthy thing, right? These guys just love to argue. And the reason they love to argue is because if they can get people in that mode, then what they can do is they can distract you. How many of you guys have ever had a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon show up at your door? Do you know they, they're taught to debate you? So they have a little book, the Jehovah Witnesses anyway, and I know the Mormons are incredibly discipled. Hey, listen, those, those operations, I mean, hands down, put Christians to shame when it comes to knowledge of, of the translation of the Bible that they have. They know what they're talking about when they show up at your door. And they have an answer for everything you're going to say. And, and that's why they go out two by two. One of those people is either an elder or a very, um, somebody who's a little bit higher in understanding. And they, they're training the other person. This is, this, the enemy is not completely unorganized. He's incredibly organized. And he packages these people together and, and he sends them out. And they will show up at your door and they'll start to talk to you. And they don't go directly at the jugular of Christianity. What they do is they come at you with the commonalities. And they, they lure you in. And, and, and a lot of, I've had people come to me and say, well, it doesn't sound like, it sounds like they believe the exact same thing we believe. Exactly, that's the point. But they do not. If you, get, you, you just have to lift up, the, get under the hood a little bit, and you'll see very, very quickly that both of Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons are works-based religions that you are not guaranteed heaven through Jesus Christ alone. It's all about you and your righteousness. It's about what you do. And so they'll knock on your door, they'll start to talk with you, and they are prepared to argue with you and to quarrel over words. Oh, it doesn't say that Jesus is God. It says he's a God. Our Greek scholars say that the way that that's translated in John 1.1 1, 1 was in the beginning of the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, they say. Well, wait a second. Okay. If that's the case, then doesn't that contradict the Old Testament that says there's only one God? Because my version, the way that... <laughs> so, so here's the thing, is that they just start to, start to get you sucked into a conversation, and if you're not prepared for that, they'll devour you. They will devour you. That's why I say if you're not um, super versed in what you believe, do not open the door. Because you will walk away so confused about what you believe. And that's the point, is to get you to, to be confused about what you believe. And you really honestly should begin to um, really take your faith seriously and be able to defend your faith. The Bible says you should be. You should be able to defend what you believe. You know, um, and not for the sake of defending it, but just because, uh, you know, that's how we grow. And, and so they're going to come to your door, and there's going to be people that are going to do that. And they have an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels. That's why they go door by door. They're coming to you. 
They're coming to knock on your door to argue with you about what you believe. And you know what? They're reaching a ton of people. They're reaching a ton of people, both, both the Mormons, both the Jehovah Witnesses. You know, and, and listen, I have a ton of family members that are Jehovah Witness. And, uh, you know, um, we've had lots of conversations. And to be honest with you, um, when you really know the word, it's, it, the, the, the conversations are not, they can't control the conversation. And that's exactly what, what these people do. If you want uh, to, to learn more about this, you should get involved with Dave and Molly's small group because that's exactly what they're talking about is cults and different things like that. People that love to, uh, to, to live in this world of falsehood. And so uh, Paul is saying, you know, beware of these people. What does their teaching produce ultimately? It says, he's, it, says it produces envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction. Notice, among people who are both depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. So they're unregenerated people. They're unbelievers, depraved in mind, and they're deprived of the truth. That's why they're still depraved in mind. Because they've never been born again. There's never been that born again experience. And the teachers themselves are depraved in mind. They've never been born again. They're, they're, that's why they're teaching what they're teaching. And they're withholding the truth. And by the way, this isn't by accident. This is on purpose. This is on purpose of holding the truth back. It's not that they um, don't, don't know what the, the Bible says. It's they on purpose change it. They on purpose do these things, and it can produce nothing but um, fruit of the flesh. The Word of God reveals our depravity, and that's why they steer clear of it. This brings us to our fourth and final mark of the false teacher, which deals with the motive of the false teacher. Look at verse 5. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. The false teacher has one motive in his teaching personal gain, personal gain. He, he uses godliness as a means of personal gain rather than godliness being the gain that they seek. They use godliness as a way to produce personal wealth. The, the Pharisees were masters of this, utilizing their position to, to, for, for personal gain. They were incredibly wealthy people. Um, when Jesus showed up at the scene, those guys were incredibly wealthy. They fleeced the flock of God. They, they would rob from anyone they could. They were, they, remember that the, the temple itself was set up to be a sham, right? They had thieves in, in there ripping people off as they would exchange money and they would sell the, blem, the unblemished lambs there. But your, blam, your lamb's not unblemished, but these ones are. So you can buy these at like double, triple the price. They were ripping people off, and they became incredibly wealthy doing that. Man, but Jesus went on to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. This is a serious matter. Jesus takes this so serious about utilizing the Word of God, utilizing, you know, Christianity as a whole for personal gain. It's so serious. And, and we're going to see um, some warnings to that. But, but um, God spoke through Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 34, relating to this, verses 1 through 3, he said, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourself in the wool, with wool. Uh, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. Who are they focused on? They're focused on themselves. It's all about personal gain for them. Peter proclaims in 2 Peter 2, verse 15, that false teachers follow the way of Balaam, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, and thus he would give a message on anyone's behalf if the price was right. Remember, he begged God to let him go and speak on, on behalf of, I can't remember what the, who, who was the king? Was it Ahaz? Uh, who, was, who was speaking, and he said, I want you to curse the Israelites. He's an Israelite. I want you to curse them. And, 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 and instead of saying, well, hold on a second. I don't, I don't think I can do that. He says, well, how much are you going to pay me? 
And then he prays to God and says, God, please let me go. Please let me go. This is the biggest paycheck I've ever gotten. Please, Lord, let me, let me have the money, right? That, that was his concern. And so the Lord said, go ahead and do it, but you only say what I say. And then it ends up backfiring on him. He probably became the, um, the, he became the most hated person on earth at that day, on both sides of the coin there. He's like, man, I really messed up, but boy, do I have a lot of money. Great for me, right? Wrong. It's, it was a sad thing. And uh, Balaam was a hireling. He was a prophet that was, was a profiteer. He was doing what he was doing for his own personal gain rather than following the Lord. Peter says there, that's what the uh, false teachers do. They, they're greedy. Paul wrote in Jude chapter 1 verses 12, uh, verse 12 regarding the declaration of the doom that awaits those kind of people. He said, these, speaking of the false teachers, are hidden reefs at your love feast. They're, they're interweaved within the body of Christ, he's saying. And they're, they're present there as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, uh, twice dead, uprooted, wild uh, waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars from whom, listen, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It's a serious matter when it comes to utilizing godliness for the sake of gain so that I can get something out of it. Uh, some of your versions might end with this verse in verse 5 that says, from such withdraw yourselves. If you have the, um, the New King James, the King James, or that specific um, you know, translation, uh, your, verse, your version will say, from such withdraw the truth, from such withdraw yourself. The ESV doesn't include that because it wasn't necessarily written in the earliest manuscripts, but it's good advice. It's incredibly good advice. From such withdraw yourself. Don't have anything to do with false teachers. Don't study false teachers unless that's a specific call on your life. If you have a call, we all have sort of a call to be apologists, but um, you know, if you have a, a call on your life to be an apologist to a cult, then that's between you and the Lord. But most of us, we're doing good just to learn Christianity and, and move forward, right? So we don't need to focus on, on the falsehoods. We need to focus on the truth. Don't allow yourself to, um, to be indoctrinated by falsehood. You know, you should, you should check everything that's said from this pulpit or any other pulpit. You should check everything that's said and say, is that in the word? And, you know, of course there's going to be things that you agree and disagree with because there's, there's different understandings of um, certain passages, but they're never foundational. Right, whether or not uh, the gifts of the Spirit are for today or not, that, that really doesn't affect eternity, right? So that's what we focus on, you know. Um, whether, whether or not um, how salvation happens to me is kind of like splitting hairs. That's not really the focus. The fact is, do you have salvation? That's probably what really matters, right? So we focus on the majors, and we don't major in the minors, but we major in the majors. And when you hear something from somebody and that doesn't strike a chord correctly with you, you need to get in the word and you need to check it out and find out, hey, am I off here or was it what I heard off? And, uh, you know, I'm already setting myself up for like, you know, like tons of emails from people going, dude, I totally disagree with what you said there and, you know, whatever. Hey, I love those conversations because I like to argue. No, I don't, but I don't like to argue, but... But I love to have those conversations because it's, it's what makes us grow. You will never grow if you never challenge your mind when it comes to the truth. You know, um, I just want to leave you with this thought, man. Uh, don't just be satisfied enough that you're going to heaven. You know what? Know Jesus to the greatest capacity that you can know him before you get there. Listen, some of you guys research, like when you're going on vacation, you research the heck out of where you're going, right? You're like, man, I got all this plan. I'm going to do this. And, you know, I got to know where this, all the spots are and all this kind of stuff. You research the heck out of those things. Um, I would say that that is what you need to do with Jesus. Research the heck out of Jesus. Make sure you understand him. That's probably not even theologically correct, research the heck out of him. But, you know, you know what I'm saying. But, but really get to know Jesus, man. 
Um, that is the goal. The marks of a false teacher can clearly be seen in the kind of content in which is taught by the attitude by which uh, is the minister uh, utilizes, the mentality by which they live, and the motive of their heart. And here's the awesome thing is that you can authenticate everything that's said because you do have uh, an incorruptible fact check source right here. You can't be fooled by fake news if you run it through this fact checker. It will never ever yield a false result. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning and Lord, we pray right now. You help our hearts, God, to hear what you would have to say to us relating to this. Lord, we want, um, we want to know you more. And uh, we thank you for bringing us the, the understanding and the truth this morning relating to false teachers and what we need to look out for. God, we need to be concerned about the content that we're hearing. God, that, that it's godly, it's, it's biblical teaching, Father. We need to be um, ultimately concerned about the attitude in which it's being brought to us, Father. It's not prideful. Lord, we need to, we need to um, truly consider these things, Lord. And I ask you this morning that if there's anyone here that does not know you, Lord, that right now you, there's an opportunity for them to come to know you. Jesus Christ died on the cross <laughs> so that we could be forgiven. And we're going to celebrate this morning, be reminded the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ through the giving of his body and his blood and the partaking of communion. The, the first thing, Lord, is that are we truly believers? Your word tells us not to do this in another unworthy manner. So this morning, if there's anyone here, Lord, they can come to right relationship with you right now. It's a simple crying out, God, forgive me for my sins. My sin has separated me from you, Lord. <clears throat> I desire, Father, to, to be in right relationship with you. Will you wash me with the blood of Christ? I believe that Jesus died for me. He rose again from the dead for me. And I'm putting my faith in him. I'm declaring him the Lord of my life. And Father, we thank you that anyone who will reach out in sincerity with a prayer like that, declaring their understanding that they have sinned and fallen short, Lord, but your son paid the price, that he was resurrected from the dead. We know that your word tells us that we'll be saved. For some of us here this morning, God, we're saved, but we're not walking. We're not walking strong with you. Will you help us this morning, Lord? Will you forgive us? Will you cleanse us, Lord? Will you restore us this morning with the joy of our salvation? Father, we thank you. We ask you to just bless our time now as we pass out the elements and partake together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.